I think Justin Fields is much closer to Trevor Lawrence than maybe most analysts think. I think most analysts say it's Trevor drop. And then you have these other quarterbacks. See, to me, by the time they draft these quarterbacks and they do all their workouts, I think it'll be a a 1A, 1B. Happy Wednesday, guys. Uh, this is the Greenlight Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long, and it is almost midnight. I stayed up. I'm still up. Uh, and uh, I, I had to watch that football game. I had to watch it for, for Amazon. Uh, I do uh, Twitch Live with Kerry Champion and Andrew Hawk Hawkins, as I call him. Um, and it's a lot of fun, but I also do NFL Next for Amazon as well with Kay Adams and Andrew Hawkins and James Co. right before it. So, I'm I'm running on fumes here, guys. I'm a content machine. I'm a content factory. No caffeine in me. Uh, I know we talked about that this week on Twitter. Not a fan of caffeine. For me, it's poison. For you, maybe it works just fine. Or maybe it's a drug addiction. I mean, you should hear yourself sometimes with this coffee stuff. A lot of truth is said in jest. I love it when people are, they just, they're like, Haha, if I don't get my cu- cup of coffee, I'm going to kill my kids. And they smile and you're like, you're fucking serious. If you don't get a cup of, cup of coffee, you're going to like yell at your kid or throw your cat. You don't think you have a problem? And I'm the drug guy? You're the drug people. I quit coffee late in my career. I did it because it makes me in- incredibly anxious and negative and pessimistic. And um, it's just a, you know, caffeine, a stimulant for me is not a good thing. Like the crashes. It makes me real moody and that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the anxiety factor of it. I eventually gave it up and I've never been happier. And I don't need anything when I, when I hit the floor in the morning. You know, when I hit the floor in the morning, I just go make content. So you should also, co- coffee Twitter is so sensitive. Oh my God. Tell them you don't like coffee. Holy shit. They're like, well, aren't you just Mr. High and Mighty? I'm like, it's a fucking beverage, dude. It's a beverage. It's a beverage. Get over it, okay? It's not a lifestyle. It's a beverage, and it's a drug that you need to not walk down the stairs and assault your 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 pet or whatever it is. <laughs> if I didn't have my cup of coffee, like people will justify really bad behavior because they didn't drink coffee. I don't get it. Um, anyways, I'm still going. It's almost midnight. That game was was predictably uh ugly in a lot of ways for the cowboys but it wasn't perfect for the ravens right you needed the cowboys to miss three field goals for that not to be a little bit more of a nail biter you know lamar missed some throws he also made a great throw in the corner of the end zone uh we were talking on twitch about this this is such a funny time for the ravens right because so many expectations coming in the year they've had injuries we talked about that before greg roman's scheme maybe getting a little stale questions about that Lamar talking about in the media that people are calling out our plays and, you know, coordinators, their sticks get figured out. I mean, Greg got figured out a little bit in San Francisco. He got figured out a little bit in Buffalo. In fact, it never got off the ground the same way. Uh, And now, you know, there's going to have to be an adjustment period, whether it's Lamar, because he certainly has to improve like any quarterback in the league. And I think they have to improve the way they help him, you know, with the skilled players on the outside 
and uh, with him developing as a passer outside the numbers uh, subsequently. If you're going to invest in those skilled players, you got to be able to make those throws. He's lived in the middle of the field. They run for like 300 yards a game. Um, you know, that can change. And sometimes people forget this kid's, this kid's young. You know, players develop, man. And uh, his offense, as great as it's been the last couple years, has put a ceiling on his passing. And, you know, their investment in weapons outside has put a ceiling on his passing. Because, like, you know, if you don't have a ton of weapons outside, why are you going to just continually force it out there? And if you're making hay in the middle of the field, you do that. But um, I say all that to say this. This felt like an adjustment period a chin check for that offense, especially over the past month and a half of the season, and then they get the COVID thing. And so coming out of that tonight, there's a bunch of questions I have in my head. The first being, what type of team's gonna show up? Are they gonna be that fresh team that we had all these questions about that we were like, oh, Tennessee hasn't practiced, they're gonna get their ass kicked by the Bills. How could they possibly, how could they possibly win a game, you know, in the situation that they put themselves in? The Ravens had an outbreak here. And although Dallas isn't very good, you worried about the sleepwalking. Well, they didn't quite sleepwalk, um, and they weren't quite, you know, finishers tonight. They just kind of ran the shit out of the football and beat up on a really bad football team in the Dallas Cowboys um, and didn't capitalize at times. And honestly, the defense was a little disappointing. The Cowboys had a lot of chunk plays, and like I said, they left points on the field. Here's the, the outlook after this win for um, – the Baltimore Ravens. They are seven and five. They're tied with the Raiders, and the Raiders own the tiebreaker. They're looking straight down the barrel at a Cleveland matchup that's going to look a lot different than the first one this season. When they first played this season, I think Baltimore is a great matchup the way they've been the last year and a half, and Cleveland has not been, you know, the type of team to step up to a challenge like that until, I guess, recently. I understand the built-in excuse there looking at that game. That was a it was a drubbing. It was like 38-10 or 38-3. They were coming out of camp with no preseason games, a brand new head coach, and uh a bunch of, you know, a bunch of expectations. No OTAs, nothing, and they got their ass kicked. Lots changed since then. You know what the funny thing about these two teams is? You look at this the other night, I think we were talking about this. Cleveland uh, you count their playoff team wins, their marquee wins, they got the same amount as Baltimore. And one of those wins for Baltimore is Cleveland. So you got one team who's trying to prove themselves, and you got another team who's trying to prove that they're not falling off, and these two teams are appearing to be two ships passing in the night to a degree. I think it's going to be a good football game. Uh, I don't know what they're going to make the line at. Uh, that's going to be really interesting, but that's the Ravens' tough test the rest of the way. The rest are cupcakes. And the Ravens don't play down to cupcakes. In fact, tonight I thought they did that more than they usually would. Let's just say this about uh, that game. Cleveland Browns fans, I got a lot of respect for you. I mean, you're just you're football people. I would put you on the Mount Rushmore of fan bases in the NFL. Let me not. I, anytime you say Mount Rushmore, somebody's like, cease and desist. There's a segment called Mount Rushmore. I get that, but they would probably be on my, my Mount Rushmore. Uh, I'm looking at Eagles fans. I'm looking at Bills fans. I don't know who the fourth would be. We don't do Mount Rushmore anyways. I'll pick another arbitrary number. I'm looking at these fans, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is a chance for them to get out over their skates. I saw a, 
a vanity plate today with the Cleveland Browns helmet on it, and it said, we back. And it was fresh, like Joe Thomas retweeted it, like somebody just gotten it. You got to keep your eye on this fan base. They'll fuck around and get a bunch of tattoos. They already have tattoos. I think Cleveland Browns, on the tattoo index of NFL fans, like willingness to, to permanently mark their bodies with, it's a very tribal thing, right? I want you to know who my favorite football team is for eternity. That's a Cleveland Browns. Like, there's a lot of orange helmets walking around on people's biceps. That's a big place for a, a, a football logo tattoo is the bicep. Actually, that's the only way I've ever seen that tattoo displayed is when the dude's like, check this out, and he rolls his sleeve up. That's a big Cleveland Brown thing. Um, don't fuck around and jinx the thing with one of these Super Bowl tattoos. I'm sure somebody's already done it. Stick to the vanity plates. I'm good with the, you know, kind of team pride light, you know. Um, Ill-advised tattoo light would be probably a vanity plate. I'm a big vanity plate guy. Stick to the vanity plates. Let's see if you can beat the Ravens. Maybe you can. I think it's going to be a good ball game. There's a guy when I, we won the Super Bowl in, in New England and uh, we were having our parade and these were really packed streets and people were throwing like fireball shots up at us and I don't remember a lot else. Uh, it was like drizzling, like freezing rain um, and we had the duck boats and it was just a blast. There was a guy that was in the crowd and he was hanging over and he had his shirt off like one of these like Packers fans or one of these Patriots people who are not afraid of the cold. And he was, uh, he was asking if he could come up on the float. And I think he had a bottle of liquor or something. So I was like, this sounds like a good chance to barter. And we had the guy come up for a second. It's very hazy, but he, he had a shirt off and he had a Sharpie and he asked me to sign my name on his, on like some, part of his, I don't know if it was his pec or his, his bicep. This guy's loaded, obviously. Obviously loaded. Climbed up on the duck boat, I thought he was gonna die on the way up. I was like, great, I invited a guy up on the duck boat, my first world championship I've ever been a part of. Some guy's gonna mortally wound himself trying to get up on the duck boat. He doesn't. He climbed up the duck boat like a fucking squirrel. Like the squirrel climbs up the side of the tree. Next thing you know, he's up there, he's got the Sharpie, so I sign my name. What do I get? in the in my inbox like months later fucking guy got a tattoo of my autograph i was a role player on that team <laughs> like what are we doing getting role players names tattooed <laughs> on our bodies you know i could understand if you got my eagles signature tattooed but i mean the commitment on some of these fans is unbelievable and that's that's coming from a guy with a lot of tattoos um Cowboys, let me close the loop on this game. Well, first, Des Bryant. This thing was, on a serious note, really a bummer. Um, right before the game, I thought one of the most interesting things about watching this game was probably seeing this this redemption story, this arc for him. I don't know what Des Bryant's future in the league is. I don't know what the viability of him staying in shape and being able to get back on a team next year is. Like He's been out of football for a while. It's hard to, to come back. Everybody's kind of rooting for Dez. You know, I, I like Dez. I've always liked Dez because to me, Dez isn't fake. Dez is more of what you see is what you get guy. He's not a guy trying to, you know, posture an image. He at times has, has let his emotions get the best of him. You know, he's had to grow up a lot. But, I mean, besides being a kind of fun football player, a physical wide receiver that the defensive player could appreciate, even for a cowboy, you just, he's just, what you see is what you get. And I think everybody was really rooting for him because he's so transparent 
And I think everybody saw on Twitter, like he's just, he opens the book. And, um, and that can be kind of endearing. And so you saw his journey and you saw it on Instagram and wherever he put it. And you know he really loves football. Because who fucking stages a comeback like this to be, you know, a guy who's not getting a ton of snaps who used to be a perennial pro bowler? That's hard on your ego. And to do it in a pandemic, guy loves football. So he's worked so hard to get back on a team. And look, he's got this chance to play his old team. He probably feels some kind of way about. And this is probably a game where he gets a lot of touches. And he doesn't get the opportunity. He's in warm-ups. He's so excited. And they pull him because John Harbaugh says uh, it was a crazy kind of deal. Eric came down and told me, that's Eric DaCosta, that Dez had an inconclusive test and we had to wait on that. And the league told us we couldn't uh, bring a player up if he tested positive. And if he tested, he couldn't play. So basically what happened is they had an inconclusive test. He, I guess, had to go get another test. And the test uh, in the middle of the game came back uh, positive. So Dez naturally comes right off the field. Again, wide receivers are great at getting their gloves off. Win, lose, draw, uh, inconclusive test. They can get right to those iPhones, man. They can get the gloves off, get the iPhones. And he's tweeting. And I understand, like, you could really see it at first that Dez was so into this opportunity. And he'd probably circled this for a while, and I don't blame him. And he was kind of robbed of it, and that sucks, man. It's really because you're rooting for him. Uh, But after a little bit, he was back to his normal, more jovial self. And he was tweeting. At first, he tweeted that he said he was probably going to be done for the year. That seemed reactive. You could tell he was emotional about it. Then he's asking people to listen to his business uh, that he's working on. And then he's having people post pictures of wine. I think Des went home and got into the Merlot. And I don't blame him. Uh, if that's safe. And we, we reached out. I think I missed him by just a little bit. I said, fuck it, I'll take a stab in the dark. I know Des a little bit. We've, we, uh, we've crossed paths on and off the field. You know, since I'm out, do you guys want to hear about my business I've been working on? Sure. I said, come on the pod. Let's go. Our listenership is nearly 100% consumers. If that's not a sell, I don't know what is. I think I was a little bit late. He said, good team win uh, and, and turned it in for the night. Maybe one of these days we'll get Dez on. Dez, we'd love to have you on the show. A lot of Eagles fans here, but I think, uh, I think everybody respects your, uh, your abilities as a player and, and was hoping you'd get back and, and overcome what you, what you dealt with to get here. So, sucks for Dez. Uh, all in all, kind of an up and down night for the Ravens. But the Ravens did run for a country mile today. And that is the lead with the Cowboys, right? That run defense um, is historically bad. That, those run fits are historically bad. We've talked about it. Listen, the worst run fits I've ever seen in, in recent memory. And I've been on some really bad teams. So, you know, I got a PhD in bad run fits. And I had a few bad run fits in my time. So I'm not ask, acting like I'm holier than now. But you got guys for the Cowboys that are running around in different directions. People are running in different directions of the football field. It doesn't make sense. If you wanted to get Bill Belichick to, to, to tap out and give you some information, like in the movies, like in a spy movie, you just strap him to one of those chairs that they always pull up in the vacant warehouse that's always there. And whoever needs to get that info, they just slap some Cowboys All-22 run fits on the wall, grainy projector. Just watch that shit on loop. Bill would tell you anything. Like, Bill would... He, he wouldn't be able to take it. 
he would break. This, that's how bad these run fits are if you know football. And it's hard to watch. Zeke Elliott said tonight, everything is in front of us. That's what he said after the game. Now, I didn't catch the tone, but that's how you know football players are like, we, we, we fucking, we drink the Kool-Aid. We'll do it. Like, that team's going nowhere right now. And somebody asked me what they need to do. Listen, tanking doesn't happen on the field, doesn't happen with coaches. We talked about it with Greg Williams. But what's in the best interest of this team right now? Just keep doing what they're doing. Keep losing. Listen, sign Dak because there's nobody out there that's going to be that good that you can get in the free agency market. And really right now where you're closer to being good is on offense. So you sign Dak. You draft maybe the kid from Oregon. I know that we talked about that with Cincy. Um, who knows who's going to be picking two, three. But if you can, bolster that offensive line. And lean into that offensive identity and fix the defense. Because the defense, it's kind of like when we talk about Carson Wentz and the quarterback thing, and we will get more into the decision, which I thought was probably the the sensible one considering the writing on the wall in Philly. The players on Dallas defensively are not as bad as they're playing. Unless you choose to believe that this is the worst collection of run defenders in the history of the National Football League, this isn't happening in a vacuum. So scheme matters, personnel matters, but I believe you, you, you can change a lot more schematically on that side of the ball quickly than you can uh, if you don't invest in that offense because that's where you're strong right now. Also, shout out to the Washington football team and Ron Rivera and Alex Smith. I mean, talk about a fucking feel-good story. The only thing is Gibson went out with a toe. I don't know what's going on with that. Haven't checked. That could be, uh, that could be a big blow for them as they try to slide in. Um, Cowboys are bad. What else? The Ravens are, we don't know. Uh, they, might, they might still find a way to get in. Oh, real football, fantasy football. Before I get to that, I should probably tell you who's going to be on the show today, right? In case you didn't read, Kirk Herbstreet. We're going to get into a whole bunch in about five minutes here. Notre Dame, Clemson, the trilogy that might happen. Ohio State, uh, Michigan, that got canceled uh, right as I was getting ready to go on with Kirk Herbstreet, and I was like, man, he's not going to probably do it, is he? Because all the bigwigs are going to call him. He st- stuck to his word. He did a pod with your boy. He was really gracious. This interview is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I've always liked Kirk Herbstreet, man. I like watching him on TV. College, de- college game days always made me feel normal. I'm sure you feel the same way on a Saturday morning. And even though they're they're doing it in front of nobody, and, you know, Lee's – off on a Zoom call somewhere in his uh, his indoor pool. He's always in his indoor pool, by the way. That's how you know you're living the Florida life. You got the indoor pool. And you know you got you to gotta put the, pl- the glass all around it because there's gators, gators, big snakes, you know, like boa constrictors and shit that people let out of their yard. That's why in Florida, you wouldn't catch me dead with a pool without, you know, one of those biodome structures. Lee Corso has one of those, and I'm glad. I mean, I like his chances against the Gator, but protect him at all costs. Who was I talking about? Kirk Herbstreet, one of the goats, man. Been doing it 25 years. Can't believe that. We hit that and more. And by the way, the guy, I know he doesn't sleep because he's in a different place every weekend. I'll catch him in the morning, one place, doing a game at night. Um, And he hasn't aged in 25 years. The fuck's going on with that, huh? Um... So yeah, we talk about the playoffs. We talk about what's going to happen maybe with Ohio State, Michigan, and uh, and coaching, coaching college coaches. Really interesting discussion on um, what makes a college coach good in the pros. And you know, it's 
usually not uh, an automatic, as you guys know. So we'll get into all that in about five, but quick fantasy update here, fantasy football. It's playoff time, which, which means all my players get to go home. They get to go on vacation. All my fantasy football players have booked their vacations to various resorts because in the fantasy football world, there's not a novel coronavirus uh, going on. There's not a pandemic. So these guys can go wherever the fuck they want to go like a shit team does in January. Everybody's booking their travel. That's what my players did, but we did not come in last, guys. And if you listen to this pod, you know the reason why you don't want to come in last because I volunteered before the year, not thinking that I would be this bad two years in a row because I was pretty bad last year, that the last place team is going to go on a, on a billboard, like a sizable billboard in a heavily trafficked area outside of Charlottesville, Virginia, which is a sprawling metropolis in the business district, you know, 29 North, if you know the area, I'm thinking. Um, maybe up near Rutgersville. Anybody from out of state, look at that on the map. It's a lot going on there. There's a spot uh, in Rutgersville there where I bought all my chrome accents on my first F-150 in high school. Uh, you know, I had the chrome brush guard. I worked masonry for an entire summer, uh, Krutoff masonry, saved up to buy uh, all the incredibly trashy chrome accessories that I put on my F-150. I had chrome door handles. I had like a little chrome flame sticker. I had the big, like three foot wide version of the lady, the hot babe laying on the Ford logo silhouette on the back of my truck. Like the trashiest car. I mean, yeah, I outfitted my truck right there in Rutgersville. I opted for the lady because I thought it was classless to have Calvin and Hobbes pissing on the uh, Chevy logo. And I really don't have anything against Chevy. I just had an F-150 at the time. Rutgersville, a lot of business there, some hotels, some motels. People are going to see the loser of this fantasy football uh, season as they come in and out of Charlottesville, having decided which direction. It's not my brother Kyle either, okay? Kyle, myself... Couple other dudes were in the running down down to the to the final gun. Monday night was it, and then the playoffs started. Kyle Long did not have his lineup set at 5 p.m. And nobody wanted to tamper, right? I don't want to see my little brother on the billboard, but I can't tamper. I can't reach out to him and say, hey, buddy, you don't you, you don't have your lineup set and you're down 0.26 points on the season to the other last place guy. Big fella. Fucking sign Robbie Gold, dude. You left your kicker thing open. Luckily, I didn't have to tell him that. He entered the game down .26 points, and he made the lineup change within an hour of the kick. The difference between being on a billboard and not being on a billboard is that small. The inches we need are everywhere around us. Kyle found that inch. He found that inch an hour before game time, and because of that heads-up play, Robbie Gold propelled him over the finish line, seventh place, comfortably, a few points out of the billboard danger zone. So, congratulations to Kyle for averting that crisis of being dressed up like a, a moderately successful trial lawyer with that kind of grayscale background. The Marks and Harrison thing, you guys know. That's, that's what we're doing. Instead, we're going to be, uh, we're going to have my buddy Mike Lewis up on that billboard. So 
Mike, congratulations. You're the oldest dude in the fantasy football league, and you found a way to be on the billboard. But I got to say, Mike looks younger than most of the dudes in the fantasy football league. We got some, we got some weathered dads in there. And, and Mike, no kids. It's keeping you young. But it is kind of fucked up. You're the oldest guy in the fantasy football league by a solid margin here. And you ended up on the billboard. Yeah, so averted a disaster there. And um, I, I just want to reprompt you guys. Keep guessing. Uh, as far as this new theme, theme music, the sample we cleared to be the new intro music on this podcast. You guys are so close. I told you the other day, DM, the green light, uh, Twitter. That's Chalk, uh, Chalk Network, at Chalk Network. That's the green light podcast Twitter handle. DM us with your guest for the artist of uh, the song that we're going to be featuring as our intro music going forward. We've got over 500 submissions so far, and nobody has guessed the right answer. No repeat submissions. If you're an egg or you're somebody that we find, um, you know, is, is double dipping just to try to get a trip to Disney World because that's what's on the line here. If you guess the right artist, you're going to Disney World, you and a significant other or a friend. But I prefer if you're not married or have a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you go solo because that would be super awkward and cost-effective for the podcast. Just keep guessing, but don't play dirty because if you play dirty and you guess multiple times, we're going to ban you from the pod forever. And we can do that. We'll find you and, uh, and we'll, un- we'll unsubscribe you. Just to name a few, you guys, have, you guys have swung and missed at different junctures. You've had Waylon Jennings, who's you know, obviously my son's namesake, I suppose, and that, that's not, it's not going to be a Waylon song. Although that's a great idea, isn't it? If this one ever gets stale, which it won't, we could rotate. We've, I've heard some My Morning Jacket. I didn't want to put my people that I know in like a bind, but maybe someday we have some MMJ teeing off one of our podcasts. There's also been, who else? What were some other guesses there, Cowboy Reed? Sturgill, not, not, not Sturgill. John Prine, RIP to legend. Pearl Jam, nope, not Pearl Jam. So you guys are you guys have got some good guesses. Keep them coming. Like I said, you got over five hundred entries right now, and uh, and nobody's gotten it right. Nobody's going to Disney World yet. And you've got, I don't know. We'll probably roll that thing out next week sometime. So you got you got the weekend here. We'll 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 keep you updated, guys. Without further ado, we got Kirk Herb Street, and I have a very special guest, one of my favorite players in the NFL is going to be joining us uh, for our Friday show. In season, active player. More guessing for you. Here's Kirk. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is wishing you the happiest of holidays. And to kick off the season of giving, DraftKings has new promotions and odds boosts every day this week. Luckily for us sports fans, there's an abundance of action taking place this week. Football teams are in the hunt to secure their place in the playoffs. While college basketball season is just getting underway, there's no better place to get in all of the action. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code GREENLIGHT when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code GREENLIGHT to get a deposit bonus up to $1,000 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, so uh, first college football guest of the year. Well, we had McGee on over the summer. Uh, 
but Kirk Herbstreet, when I think college football, I think about Kirk Herbstreet. I think about Lee. I think about those guys on 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 uh, college game day and the way that's kind of shaped my college football experience. And we were just talking offline, Kirk. I haven't seen you in probably thirteen years, almost. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. You've, had mean, a, you've had a hell of a run, by the way, since since the last time I saw you. It's been all right, man. But uh, but I got to say, you grind as hard as anybody. I'm watching TV in the in the age of COVID, and I know there's you know with travel and that sort of thing, and and where you stay, you guys are still burning the candle at both ends to deliver the package and. Yeah. I wonder if it's more of a grind this year than usual, or if it's been a different thing that you've just embraced. You know, it's kind of all, you know, I mean, going back to even before you played, it's, it's just all I know. And I love that part of it. You know, I love grinding. I love Dude. that aspect of, and you could talk to, you know, anybody, whether you played the game or you cover the game, if you have a, some success and you're able to, to maintain it, it's really all about the work that you're willing to put in. Real quick on my background is I wasn't like you. I wasn't an all-conference, all-world first pick, you know, kind of guy. So I looked in the mirror and I saw I got to grind. Even forget as a player, when I went into as an analyst, when I sat on the desk in college game day, I was 25 years old. I've been there 25 years now. And I, when I sat there, I, I knew that the guy in Florida or Texas or California was like, I know Fowler, I know Corso. Who's that guy? And that was a, instead right. of being embarrassed about that, I I embraced it and I just went to work, you know. And I just my brain, I just thought they might not know who I am back in 1996, but I'm going to be the hardest working analyst and most informed analyst on TV. Like that was just my goal. And so that's, that's kind of where I started my little foundation. And that's when I look in the mirror today, that's what I still see. So I've had a lot of, you know, you know, know, I've been around a lot, had some successes. And, but when I see myself, that's why when I saw Brady saying, I'm not comparing myself to Tom Brady, but that interview he did when he started tearing up and crying after he'd already won like three or four Super Bowls, but he was kind of remembering draft day for him. And here all these years later, it was still really emotional for him to talk about that's being a six round pick. And I think I don't, you know, Tom, I don't know him that well, but I, one thing I've loved about him is, is how he's maintained a competitive spirit throughout all the success and hasn't lost his edge. He still sees himself as a six round draft pick. I think that's the key. I think a lot of people forget that with Tom's kind of his psyche and, you know, he's got his way of leading and he's got, Anytime you play, you know, at the Death Star for like two decades, everybody's going to find a way to try to hate you. And um, yeah, I, I do think that Tom, for everybody that sees Tom as such a chalky option to root for, he is in his mind that underdog. And he doesn't talk about it a lot. But I think when he's vulnerable, that comes out in him yeah. in that moment. You know, it's interesting you say that because I, I think he remembers where he was. And to, to your point, you remember exactly where, where where you were in 1996. By the way, I didn't know you were 25. I forgot about that, dude. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> Tri- was- college, college game day trips are probably a lot different at 25 than 50. <laughs> <laughs> dude, the other thing is there was no – there was ESPN. There was, yeah. there was no, like – other channels. It wasn't like yeah. a big 10 network an ACC network an SEC network. It's, it's almost like there's so many launching points. Now. So how did you see people play? And that's the crazy thing to me is like, I talked to my dad about this in the eighties, like when they were literally on plane rides home, like, you know, in my career, we were watching the games that we had interest in across the conference yeah. in division yeah. in real time on the airplane. Right. And Oh yeah. There's multiple channels and you have the internet. So I can kind of follow the score yeah. app or whatever I yeah. need to. My dad, they would land, and if Buffalo was playing across the country, 
you know, you'd hear about it on a landline. Somebody would call somebody and tell you what happened. Right. You'd have to wait until the, the right. newspapers in the morning. So, so how do you, as an analyst, you know, back in the nineties, see as much as you can possibly see and talk about things with expertise? Yeah. That's when direct TV was really just initially getting started. So mm-hmm. we would, a lot of times Saturday, the highlight for me is when game day ends this is before I would a lot of times fly to go call a game. Right. That's when I worked on Thursday. I did some of your games with Tariko and Corso. Yeah. And so Saturday was just game day. And then we would stay, what, let's say we're at Alabama and Georgia or wherever we are. I would sit there and we'd have this little trailer and we'd have three TVs or four TVs. And we, we had this guy that hooked up all the direct TVs. So thankfully they had that. So at least you were able to watch it. But, you know, right now, as soon as I get done with you, I'm going to click on my, I'm doing Miami of Florida, North Carolina, and I'm going to click on video right here, my computer and boom, yeah. I can do whatever I want. It's, it's very, very different era, obviously, but you were still able to, to break it down. And a lot of times you would get, uh, you get on the phone, you'd call coach right, and, and you'd break down get a little bit more detail with them. And, but it's, I think about this, the internet, I don't know. When did it start? 90- it's funny. Cause I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, Kirk's, Kirk's, in my head, I'm like, Oh, Kirk's hitting the payphone to call, you know, the Nebraska code. It's not that we're not that old. Right. <laughs> it's just right. 1996 seems like a long time ago. I know, man. It's, it is, it's nuts, but it just, my, I guess my point going all the way back there is today, global pandemic. Yeah. You know, you, I don't know how much you're traveling, but like you, you, you fly and you land at it, you go to your hotel and it's, it's like a twilight zone. It's empty, right? It's so weird. You go down. I haven't left Charlottesville. Like I don't leave Charlottesville because I don't have to right now for work or anything. I do Amazon stuff from home uh, at my studio down the way. I do my podcast every day from home. I've only been out to Montana for vacation. That's it. I mean, I've been in Charlottesville since March. And so sometimes when I'm looking at you traveling around for somebody who's so accustomed to Hey, like when I touch down on campus, like the energy, the life is awesome. Like that's the infectious part about college football. It's got to be like, you know, another dimension almost. It's so strange. You know, you you are, you're routine oriented when you do, I guess, anything consistently over the years. And I'm, I I got my routine down for travel. And right now it's, it's just a different routine. And when you go into a hotel and there's no one there, usually there's a buzz. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you can drop in from anywhere and you're like, what's going on here? You know, normally mm-hmm. and right now there's, it's a ghost town. No one there. You go to a whiteout, which is one of the greatest scenes in the sport. You go to your hotel, you walk down the hallway, creepy, dark lighting. And the, mm-hmm. like, there's no one in the hotel. There's and you don't get to see your friends so much. I think one of the biggest, coolest things about being on from the outside looking in is I can see the team aspect of what oh, you guys yeah. have done for a long time. My dad, you know, on Fox, on totally. Twitter, there's a team aspect to it. And, you know, there are protocols that are in place and probably common sense stuff where you guys don't get to do the same things. I mean, yeah, you, know, like, you talk about Lee, how important he is to you. I see coming every time show. Lee pops on. Yeah. You're like, I miss, I miss my, you know, <laughs> I miss my buddy. guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. How hard totally. is that? You don't get to see him. I know it's such a good point. And maybe people don't realize that, you know, you, you seeing your dad go through this, you, you can really understand it, but you're It's, it's, it's a team. It's a family. And we have usually a on-site Friday production meeting with 40 different people, people on camera, behind camera, 
everybody is in there and it's a lot of ball busting and you know, everyone's just mm -hmm. having fun. Usually Lee's right in the middle of it, making fun of somebody. <laughs> you know, he, he's 85 years old and he's holding court mm -hmm. and we don't have that. And we're doing all of our meetings. Like you and I are talking right now. It's, it's a strange time, but um, then you got to go on air and be like, yeah, yeah. man, let's yeah. go. Let's talk some college football, energy. you know? So that, that and without any crowd, there's the, you know, it's crickets around you. And, and so it's, it's been a, a different year in that uh, respect for sure. And that's affected how you guys pick college game day locations probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we went to coastal last weekend, which is, is become a really good story. And they had a few fans. It's the only time we've had fans in 14 weeks. Yeah. Um, they had fans and of course they were socially distanced, but they were out there. They're, they were making noise, which was, which was kind of weird uh, to have, but yeah, we, we, we have, no fans at our, at our shows. I mean, our show, if we go to Penn state or any of these spots, you could have 10 or 15,000 people at, at the show. And then to go from that, it's almost like being a, um, I'm not saying we're, we're, um, you know, artists or, you know, you're at a concert, but it, it has a little bit of a feel like that yeah. when you walk on the stage and there's just sea of humanity and you take that away. Yeah. It, it's no different than what your, your, your guys are, Doing playing a game on a it's, Monday. It's night amazing football. what they it's amazing what they're doing. And I, I think anybody who's working in any industry in sports that's drawing that energy is uh, is missing that. I mean, you yeah, you talk about the one game you're getting ready for right now, UNC and Miami, Florida. Um Miami, Florida is not in contention to play in the ACC championship at this point. But the, the reason, right? I mean, it, there's nothing mathematically, it's locked in. The, the only the only reason I'm always interested in seeing UNC besides the fact that they're generally exciting is I love this quarterback. Yeah. I mean, yeah. last year seeing him and, uh, and Mac that marriage, I mean, I feel like when they hired Mac, a lot of people on the outside looking in were like, is this like a bridge? Like what's going on? Like in the mm -hmm. ACC, this yep. guy's over the Hill, that sort of thing. How serious can he be about this job? I've enjoyed watching him have fun. Yeah. And I feel like players have been surprised that you know, we talk about older coaches. This is one guy that's kind of been able to circumvent that, that barrier, like that age barrier, how good is Sam Howell long-term? I mean, where do you see him projecting? I know you don't do the pro football stuff as much, but you know what these guys look like and comparing them. And then, you know, what's the, what's the future look like at UNC? I'm, I'm like you when Mac went, I, I thought, and he worked with us for five years. I thought, you know, he just missed it. He wanted to go back to a place that he'd already been and, and try to recreate it. But I know Max Hart. I know he wouldn't just do that to just say, hey, I'll come back for a couple Thank of years, and give someone else a chance. I think he's looking at it like he's 35, 40 years old. Like he's rolling up his sleeves and he's digging in and he's having a ball. He did say something interesting. I did the Notre Dame game last week and he did say something interesting about he really is trying to make an effort to have more fun. These coaches, mm -hmm. um, and you can relate to this. Bill Snyder told me one time, he said, you know, the, the losing is agonizing and the winning is a relief. And I'm just like, damn, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a tough existence as a coach. And he's a hall of famer. And that, that was his, that was agonizing or relief or his two ways to get through a game. And I think Mac could relate to that. We were talking about that. And he said, I've come back this second time with a new appreciation with the kids and these young coaches. I'm trying to be a mentor, trying to help people in their future. So I think it's real. You know, I don't know how long he's going to be around, but I think it's real. This, this kid, um, you know, Sam, how to me, he's in a system. I don't know how much you watch Carolina or, or what they're doing. You know, they, they probably 
do more run pass option than anybody in the country. And it's not, you know, most of these RPOs, you're reading one player in conflict, usually that hang player or maybe a safety coming down and your eyes are immediately on him and he's going to dictate what I'm going to do. If he's, you know, mm-hmm. if he's going to fill in the box, I'm going to throw it. If he stays wide, I'll give it. They don't even, they don't do that. So they're, they're just reading a space. They're reading grass. And basically it's almost like backyard football. If the guy's open, throw it. And if right. he's not hand it off. So it's, right. it's a very, it's Phil Longo, who was at Ole Miss with Met, DK Metcalf and, and AJ Brown, that's their OC that he brought over. And so if you look at they're working with, they've got a chance to, to make big plays. But as you saw in the Notre Dame game, if they can't get those two backs going, it, it almost is like a virus to their system. Right. And Notre Dame completely took away two NFL caliber running backs. These, these North Carolina backs are freakish. Yeah. And one's, one's a little bit quicker and the other one's uh, more of a power guy. Javante Williams probably is going to be a guy you'll hear about a lot in the NFL. And I think Michael Carter will end up playing as well, but uh, how gets all the attention because he's a quarterback. But to me, it's really about those two backs. If those two backs get going, they're going to score 45. Just deal with it. So it's it's funny because it's like it sounds like the backs aren't getting enough credit and they read it from they read their RPOs from the top down. Yeah. They, exactly. It's yep. totally counterintuitive. Yeah, but, it is. Basically, I, they're telling him if if you feel like you got him, yeah. you know, glance route at slant, if you got him, just take it. Yeah. No harm, no foul. You know, I'm not going to come over and yell at you. Just do what you got to do. Yeah. And if you don't like it, just give, give it, you know, it's very different than any RPO that I've ever heard of. You talk about coaches and, and, uh, and we'll get to the Ohio state Michigan thing in a second for people listening, but I'm just so interested in some of this coaching talk. Cause there's a ton going on right now, obviously with Harbaugh. I'm looking at Matt rule in particular this year. I always find it fascinating as a former college player who had a hard ass college coach. And we were talking offline. Al Groh was a tough dude. And we both yeah. loved the guy and you talked about how much you loved the production meetings with him. Yeah. Every day was like, we had those great stories, the Parcells, the Belichicks, but he coached that way too now. And I think you can get away with that in college, but it's harder, especially in today's pro football world to tailor your, you know, kind of mantra that you're taking from college and then applying it to coaching and walking into a room full of 30 year old men. Well, that's becoming less and less prevalent with the new CBA and the way they're getting rid of vets. But what's the key for a college coach to leave the college ranks and tailor his game to the pro game? Like why doesn't Matt rule work? I thought he would be everything about him to me was Parcells tree college coach. He's going to be a hard ass. He's like a player's coach there. And he had a great first year. By the way, the next the next guy that's going to be Matt Rule is Brian Dable. Remember oh, that? Yeah. Um, but I'm saying same guy. Yeah. Like if you, me and you, the, the, me and you and Brian Dable were sitting uh, having a beer and hanging out. Well, I was watching him last night, um, and I took a picture to send to somebody because I go, "That's my guy." They had a. I love Dable. Forget football for a second. Yeah. The four of us are hanging out, just sitting around, BSing, talking ball. Yeah. We'd be done an hour later. You, we'd, we'd walk to the car and you'd be like, I fucking love both those dudes. It's so cool. Those, those are my kind of guys. Yeah, like, so yeah. that's where, you, that's where I would start with yeah. Matt rule. So he's not a, he's tough and he's demanding, but he's a people person. Oh my God. Like he's yeah. the guy that wins over a room. So the players are going to, you know, some people are, be, they're drawn to you and other people are deflected about, but your aura, he, he draws people in. He, you want to play for that guy. 
That's yeah. who Matt Rule is. Beyond the XOs, to me, the real story is how does Cliff Kingsbury go from Texas Tech and Lubbock where he can't, you know, win enough to compete for Big 12 championships, gets fired, goes to USC for a couple months, and then ends up going to the Cardinals, and he's doing pretty well. And I know we're in an air raid world right now. We're transitioning to mm -hmm. more of Kyler Murray and Lamar and Baker, and, you know, it's just a different world from when you played. Mm -hmm. So I get that that's maybe why the door opened, and I'm not saying he's not doing well. I'm just saying that one made me kind of go a little bit like that. Matt no, that's, that's usually the odd, like this guy's first off the culture fit to me in Lubbock was like, all right, it's the dude in sunglasses. that looks like he's like, you know, a dude that just walked out of the supper club in LA. Like he, which is to the, to the listeners, it's a terrific nightclub, you know, in my younger years, I used to, yeah, yeah. but like Cliff Kingsbury is not a Lubbock guy. And like, and so he, he's not, he's, he's not a cultural fit there. And then everybody's rolling their eyes at him uh, in, in, in Arizona. And now they're like a year ahead of schedule. Now to yeah. be fair, I think him and Steve Kime deserve a lot of credit for doing the, the thing that they're doing now. No first contract quarterback is safe anymore in the NFL. Right. Right. Everybody's interchangeable now. And the leash is shorter for these young quarterbacks. Like look at, right. You know, Sam Darnold's probably going to be on the move. There's a number of guys. Yeah. So I, I, I think Cliff deserves a lot of credit, but you're right. I think it's personality. I think it's yeah. if you are a cool dude and yep. you can level with people and communicate, right. you right. can ask whatever you want of these guys. 100%. We're professional. Like, like, I don't know how you feel about Joe Judge. I, I did an NFL game. I, okay, so I, I did an NFL game. I don't know Joe Judge. I covered him when he was in the Egg Bowl at Mississippi like as a player, but I, don't, I didn't really know him. So they asked me to do a Monday night game the opening weekend with Fowler. We did the Steelers and the Giants. So I, I had an opportunity to sit down with his court or well, Zoom with his coordinators yeah. and, and with him. Again, I didn't know Joe Judge. I got done talking to Joe Judge. Guess what? I was drawn into yeah. Joe Judge. Like mm -hmm. I loved him. I loved what he was doing. I even said to people, they got beat by the Steelers. I go, I'm telling you, man, th this team they're building something here. They, they got a chance to go in a better direction. Of course they started like Oh, and four or whatever it was, but they're starting to kind of piece it well, together a little bit. The defense is playing out of their minds, but I'm just saying his energy. No, I no, I'm on board with you. When he got hired, I thought people were a little bit dismissive of the fact that he was a special teams coach. Some yeah. of the greatest coaches in our game came from that, from that third side of the ball where I think one of the biggest draws to being a special teams coach is you every morning when you come in, you get to, meet and greet people from both sides of the ball, communicate with them. You understand all the position groups. And it's so, and also another thing that's a positive is listen, you can delegate like that's your thing. And so I think what was really cool is after this win in particular, you think about all the things they've been through. You lose Saquon, you start 0-5, you got no camp, you have no, you have no uh, OTAs. Think about uh, that. You, you lose Danny Dimes the last couple of weeks and then you go beat the Seahawks who are very volatile but I love the program they're they're installing there. And to your point, he's a hard ass. And I think a lot of players, including myself, when I first and I I know Joe, which by the way is funny as a cultural fit. He's such a Philly guy, but somehow I thought he was from Mississippi when he came to New England. He almost <laughs> bought the accent down there and like mashed it up with Philly. Yeah. Like when I first heard that press conference, he's like, "We're gonna go live every day." I was like, "Oh shit, he's gonna lose the locker room. He better chill out with this New England stuff." But the thing was, as his personality came came about and the players started to understand who he was, they were okay with doing that work. Yeah. So I think that's a lot of it, to your point. You mentioned the Steelers-Giants game, okay? I turned on TV. I was delighted to hear you on there. I, you know, I was like, this is great. Um, yeah, I hadn't heard you do pro before. Had you ever done a pro game before, and what was that adjustment like? 
Never in my life, never, never uh, had done one. There, there's a lot of talk about, you know, over the last couple of years about maybe doing some of that, but I, I've never, never really had an itch uh, to do it. I, I, I'm a college, passionate college football guy. I love the, the sport, the energy, the pageantry. I'm just that guy. But I went into the NFL, I was happy to do the game. And of course, we're in the middle of a crazy world. So it wasn't the normal experience. But I, I was so apprehensive about how, because when I do a college game, when I do my Zooms this week with Miami and North Carolina, you never met a guy who's more in his comfort zone yeah. than dealing with these coaches and coordinators because I've been doing it for so long. You know everybody too. Yeah, yeah. And so I go to the NFL, I study all this film, trying to be prepared. It's, it's like you over-prepare. Talk, I'm talking to Witten about Jason Garrett's offense. I talked to him for two hours. I'm, I, I mean, I, I must've taken 18 pages of notes on Jason Garrett's scheme, you know, before I even talked to Garrett. So I, I, I did this for like two weeks, all this preparation. So I was ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that was before I even got to the Zooms. I was just, I was very interested to see how the players and the coaches would react to me Right. As far as would they respect me? Would they look at me like, what is it? What's this college guy doing? And I was blown away with unanimously. They were they were so professional, so cool about, you know, just stepping in and, and sharing thoughts with me and being very open and, tr- and trusting me. And I was just very grateful for that, because when you get that, you could still do a broadcast, whether they do that or not. But it just it, it, it just gives you um, confidence to be able to go out and do your job when you when you get production meetings that are helpful and uh, and, and respectful. And so it was across the board. So then I went into the game and it was almost like I got all the answers to the to the quiz. You know, I just yeah. knew everything. And and so I left there and I'm like, damn, I want to do another one. That, that was fun. I, I had a ball doing it. Bullets are flying. Do you feel like it's the same game? Just so uh, different yeah, I mean, like standpoint, but it's the same thing calling it. I'm sure it's really, you know, college and the NFL are doing more and more of this, you yeah. know, the, the schemes, like when you played, I don't think we could have said that. Or obviously going back to when I played or your dad played it, it was just such a drastic NFL is on Sunday. Yeah. And here's the college game, whether it's option or air raid or whatever it was, tempo zone read, you know, Pat white, you know, and Steve Slate, like, but you're not going to see that in the NFL, mm-hmm. but now you are, I mean, Lamar Jackson and, and what Russ is doing in Seattle. I mean, there's, and, and you know, Cam Newton, when he was, you know, in his prime stuff that he was doing. So the, the game has really changed on Sunday. And I just feel like these, like Andy Reed, he looked at Pat Mahomes and he thought, you know what? I don't know, but I'm a, I've been a West coast guy since I came into the NFL but we keep trying to figure out these quarterbacks in college. Why don't we adjust our stuff to a guy like Pat Mahomes? Mm. And I'm going to learn his system and I'm going to, I'm going to tweak it and come up with some stuff and have an imagination, but I, I'm not going to sit, just be, I'm a West coast guy and you better learn my offense. He's brilliant in my mind. Um, and same with what they're doing with Lamar. So I, I think that it made it pretty Seamless as far as the transition on on that at least that one game with uh, the the Giants and the Steelers. Another yeah, another point you you know talking about college coaches and coaches in general is the malleability to to do 
you know, to, to mold your team and your scheme to the players you have. And yeah. you talk about Andy Reed, he's one of the greatest of all time when it comes to offensive minds right now, we're so lucky. We've got Sean Payton, we've got Andy Reed, you know, we're getting to see them win creatively every Sunday. I mean, look at what new Orleans is doing right now. Let's do the playoff picture because we just got word right before you came on Ohio state, Michigan gets canceled. Ohio state needs, you know, one more win the big 10. They're not going to tell their cash cow. No. I mean, right now it's three o'clock on Tuesday. We just got this. Right. So don't hold us to it. But if you're the Big Ten, are you in a in a bind here? Do you feel like? You know, I think I think the ads are meeting on Wednesday, and I think yeah. they're going to try to discuss if Barry Alvarez kind of brought it up last week. The ad at Wisconsin, he said, you know, listen, if Ohio State only gets five games, we may have to reevaluate this. And he goes, they're our best team, and we make up the rules. Why, why do we have to sit here and say they can't get in if they're, they're only have, if they only have uh, five games. So he kind of brought that up just as a talking point. It wasn't, that's what we're doing, but it made everybody in the media think that's what they're doing. So we'll see. Uh, The other thing I would throw out as we sit here, I think Ohio state may try to find a game. You know, I I don't know other games uh, within the big 10. I don't know who's going to cancel. I don't know who's going to be available. I don't know if there's a chance, like you see in the Pac-12, they sometimes shuffle the deck. I don't know if that might happen or I off the just top of my head, Texas A&M. I know that's the one. Yeah. So I'm wondering if we get a, like a a juiced up coastal Carolina, BYU backyard football, like, but but I mean, the big 10, they'd have to say, and the sec would have to say, Hey, we've tried to keep everything in house because of the COVID and restrictions. Mm -hmm. They'd have to be willing to, to open up. To but Ohio State has a lot more to lose there. So absolutely. You know, although I, you know, it really to me thinks they can win that game. Yeah. Now keep in mind they, they still have their COVID uh restriction. They they lost three starting offensive linemen, their starting middle linebacker who's a four year starting middle linebacker. So they're down some guys, but you're right. It's yeah. it's what do you have to gain versus um to me what you have to gain is image yeah. PR. Yeah. You know, like people look at Ohio State and the SEC like they're overrated. Here's a chance to go out and say, OK, even with guys down, we'll play anybody. Let's go. Let's go play. That's one side. And the other side is, is it worth the risk? Because chances are they're going to clear them to go to Indianapolis at, even at five. And you still get a chance to be a Big Ten champion, even though six games. You still got a shot to get into the playoff, you know, in a, in a crazy year like this. So I don't know what they'll end up doing. I think they'll try to stay in house first in the Big Ten and and see if they can find another game. What kind of loss would it take for the Big Ten to look like they have egg on their face on this thing? The the, the only way, if this plays out and they don't get a game this week, mm-hmm. they go to Indianapolis, they play Northwestern, for argument's sake, if they win that game, they're sitting there at 6-0, and and they, they, they're crowned Big Ten champs. We got Notre Dame and Clemson, and we got Alabama and uh, Florida. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, and Florida were to beat somehow beat Alabama with Kyle Trask, then you have an interesting scenario there. You know, then then you have Notre Dame and Clemson in my mind would both be in. I think Florida's a lock. And then I think you're sitting there debating six and Ohio State versus whatever Alabama eleven and one or whatever they would be. I think it's six games. I don't know if that's enough, even if you're a Big Ten champ. Alabama has been so good for this entire year through all this. I would think that Alabama would probably go ahead of them. You know what I'm saying? So that that's, that's where you end up potential. Now, if Alabama wins and it doesn't even matter what happens in Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida would be out. I think Ohio state would, would still probably end up going. 
So I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you're you're a huge Alabama fan right now. So with the trilogy here, the possible trilogy, we got Clemson, Notre Dame. So like with the guys that Clemson was missing, because here's the thing about Clemson. I watched this backup quarterback play. Fucking guy doesn't look like a backup to me. Nobody at Clemson looks like backup. So how am I supposed to gauge how different this matchup would be? I think it'd be a thriller again, but what would you make the line for that game? With everybody Clemson has coming back on a neutral site, not that it's, you know, actually Notre Dame had fans. I mean, it was, it was actually a decent atmosphere. Um, I would guess Clemson, I'm going to guess Felica, the bear would be way better at this. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess Clemson by four. Yeah. I was going to say like, five. okay, that makes me feel good, which yeah. I'll, I'll probably pick the wrong side of that. So I set the line and then pick the wrong side. <laughs> you know, I, I, I got a show with Stanford Steve every week. So I'll see what Steve has to say. Too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ask him, ask yeah. him and, and he'll get his info from bear, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to give defense some love because we live in an era of offense Everybody talked about about uh, Trevor Lawrence not being there, but they have a three technique uh, named Tyler Davis. He's yep. number thirteen, who's going to be a, a great pro. Yep. And they got a guy in the middle, James Skalski, who has started like I don't know forty some games at middle backer. He's the glue. He's you ever watch Brent Venables going crazy? He's the guy that just makes it all He's right. Football machine. You got, He's your James Laronitis type. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You got thirteen and forty seven in the middle that didn't go to South Bend, didn't yeah. play. And then you got uh, an outside backer who's replacing Isaiah Simmons, a guy named Mike Jones who's been around. So three, like, really, really talented, experienced players. They returned four starters from last year, and they had three of them uh, that weren't able to play in that game. So that, that to me, is probably even bigger than, the than Trevor Lawrence coming back because of the job that, that DJ uh, did in that game. I, mean, I think he threw for 400 yards or something against the Notre Dame defense. Before I get to your uh, Commonwealth Cup, not that oh, and we got a lot of listeners in Virginia, but not all our listeners in Virginia. They'll have to suffer through that for a second. But how much error is between, you know, for these NFL teams that are going to pick in the middle, in the middle of the first round or at the bottom of the top 10 who might need a quarterback? How much error is there really between? I think we do this thing where we assume we did it last year with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, he just doesn't have what it takes. It's going to be developmental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw him at the combine. He couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. Right. How does that happen? And how much error is there between one, two and three right now with Trask, you know, on you know the back end of that trio? Trask, I'll just start with him. He is limited physically, but knows his limitations. And and in Dan Mullen's scheme, it's all about timing, accuracy, decision making. He he's a ten out of ten in those three areas. So I'm trying to think. I don't I don't know who an NFL quarterback off the top of my head he reminds me of. But I'll be interested to see. You better have the right scheme in mind when it comes to him. Like Trevor Lawrence will stand at the right hash and you can run a 20 yard out and he's going to throw a laser. Yeah. Got, you know what I mean? He's just he's got that. Quarterback you notice, I used to watch football and never noticed the quarterback, but now that yeah. I'm like working in football, yep. just kind of falling in love with watching guys like Justin Herbert. It's when it looks different coming off the ball. hundred percent. Yeah. It just looks yeah. different and it looks yep. different forever too. And, and that's how he is. I think because of the way the NFL is going and what we talked about earlier, I think Justin Fields is much closer to Trevor Lawrence than maybe most analysts think. I think most analysts say it's Trevor, drop, and then you have these other quarterbacks. See, to me, by the time they draft these quarterbacks and they do all their workouts, 
I think it'll be a one a one B. So I don't know who's going to need a quarterback. I assume the jets, you mentioned Darnold moving on. Mm-hmm. There's already assumptions that Trevor's going to go to New York. I don't know who that two, three, four, who, but I think, I think uh, Justin Fields, the guy can make every throw. He's dynamic athletically. He can create, uh, he's really worked a lot working through progressions so he can sit in the pocket and actually work through it. So I think he's a lot closer. And then I think there's a drop. And then I think it's a debate. I don't, was it going to be Trask? Is it going to be Zach Wilson at BYU? Right. The kid at North Dakota state. You know I mean? There's a lot of guys that might be in that, that next tier. Uh, as yeah, the kid at North Dakota state, he could be real rangy where he could, I mean, he could be yeah. one of those real late risers and you'd be, how, how the hell did they pick him this high? I don't know. Like, yeah. Real quick, Harbaugh, prediction does he stay does he go and how interested do you think he really is in going back i mean i'm hearing reports that he is really interested in the pro game um yeah i mean you know this better than it probably me the the, the coaches trying to get into the mind of jim harbaugh anybody who reports, yeah, good luck good luck that's yeah yeah mind of anyways. anybody who reports anything is is simply speculating mm-hmm. there's no inside scoop Jim Harbaugh doesn't provide that, you know, maybe other than maybe to his family. So I have no idea. I, I, I personally love him in college. Like I grew up when he was a player at Michigan and Ohio state and Michigan would have great rivalry games. And I still, when I see him, I still see him in number four at Michigan. And so for him to be the Michigan coach, I said this when he went there, I would have thought it'd be going like this right now. I mean, you it'd be like, so would I. I was in the NFC West. I knew how good those teams were. I just yeah, like like, and you tell me how does he, how does he do what he did at San Francisco, and then things are not going the same way in college. You, well, you, he had a lot of talent on defense. Okay, that defense was like yeah ridiculous, name to name, and yeah. you know you had the Kaepernick thing that fell into his lap. Actually, the game that Cap comes in, uh, it was Jolon Dunbar. Uh, knocked out Alex Smith on the near sideline. I was pursuing that play two yards away. Next play, this this tall, lanky kid comes in and lights us up, and we end up tying the game. That was the beginning of Kaepernick, and I think that year, uh, that infusion of something new uh, where people didn't have any tape on them or anything was like, it was just the perfect storm for them. I see. And I also think, I, I, there's no denying it, he's a heck of a football coach, and the games change. Whenever people talk about how much the games change, I always go back immediately to that old line in San Francisco. I probably talk about it on the podcast once every two weeks. You know, IU Potty, Staley, you know, all the listeners know the whole line by now. Frank Gore, Delaney Walker, and Vernon Davis in a big wing. Like, and they run power and counter. So I don't know if it's, a, if, if it's an issue of – I don't think it's a recruiting issue because, you know, people like him. He's kind of a celebrity, right? But has it become a thing where Michigan being down and Penn State being down – is allowing like an Indiana to slide in and be a long-term kind of one B. I I think, I think, I think Penn state's a blip on the radar. I think it's going to be right back up. Yep. I think, I think that, I think if you look at that Penn state roster, you, you see NFL ability on that roster right now at Michigan, man, there's some here and there, but when, when Michigan was Michigan, they recruited really well in Ohio and in Chicago, and they'd go down to Florida, they'd go into Texas, they'd even go to California. 
and they bring, you know, a, a lot of talent onto the roster. When Lloyd Carr had it roll in, or even before that, Bo, that was how they did it. And when you look at a Michigan roster right now, it's it's Connecticut, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, it's really bizarre. Is that intentional by him? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it's just a different approach. So when you say it's Michigan, they got to have talent. They have some talent. Yeah. But when you put them on the field with Alabama in a bowl game, whoa, you see a noticeable difference. Different sport. And and yeah, a noticeable difference in skill. You put them on the field with Ohio State the last whatever years, there's a big difference in the skill spots, you know. So I don't know. Notre Dame's winning right now with three tight ends and offensive linemen and pounding people. So it's crazy. You know, you can still do it, but for whatever reason, maybe it's this is the worst, obviously, it's been. Maybe COVID and all the restrictions and everything they've been, maybe maybe it's holding them back. But I personally hope it turns. I hope he stays in college. But I know if he if he moves on, he'd have an NFL job. Yeah, he probably, probably would. Of an eye. He probably would. All right, real quick, UVA, Virginia Tech, the, the rivalry everybody's obsessed with around the country. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, it's a rivalry again. They had 15 straight against us, including uh, my, myself and my, my buddies going 0-4. Uh, we don't need to talk about that too long, but, <laughs> but we're back. We've held the cup for a year. What do you think about the state of these two programs? You look as, you know, a Big Ten guy, you know, checking in on on what's going on here. Well, obviously, I've covered the ACC for 25 years, so I I have a pretty good feel for just, I don't, not the rivalry. Nobody cares about the ACC, like, you know what I mean? Like, nobody's like, you know, I'd love to see the the league back in a really good place top to bottom. You tell me, because I just did Virginia Tech, and... I don't know, man. When I used to go into Virginia Tech, and I know there was no no fans there, it was special. Like their roster, like I look always looked at Virginia Tech pre Michael Vick, post Michael Vick, mm-hmm. pre Michael Vick, they were blue collar, outwork you, tough guys, and then Michael Vick took them to a different stratosphere. And their branding and their image, Corey Moore, welcome to the Terror Dome. Like they they just became a brand, and the recruiting from that number seven. Tidewater area, it was just like open the floodgates, everybody's coming to Blacksburg. And they had it rolling there for for a number of years. And I don't know, I, I don't know as far as the budget, I don't know what their spending is. I know their facility looks great, but it just feels different. I I, I can't say it's the same. Um, I love Justin Fuente. You know, sometimes guys fit in certain spots, sometimes they they don't. I don't know. I still think we're trying to figure out if he, if he's a fit, no matter where he goes, he has a chance to be successful. And then, you know, what's going on at your alma mater, not only because they beat Virginia tech, we were talking before we came on. It's, it's a different approach with a guy who comes in from BYU who, who won with defense and a certain style. And they got a young quarterback to build around. They, they've, they hit bottom and they've kind of worked themselves back up. I, I just feel like the two, the two programs might be doing this a little bit. Two ships passing the night. I don't want to be too, you know, I, I, the listeners it feels are here. that way. And listen, Hey, some of these, you know, the thing I'd say about the ACC is I just want to see it really competitive top to bottom. Again. I, and maybe this was me. I'm really nostalgic for the Raycom sports days, the doc Walker. <laughs> yeah. Remember those days? That yeah, was- man, Absolutely. Like with the, you know the the blue collar class of the ACC, I want to see that lifted up again. And you know, I love the fact that this rivalry is competitive again, at least to say the very least. The only way that conference is ever going to get national respect is 
you have to get not only Clemson, but where's Florida State? Miami this year looks a lot better, right? Yeah. That's that helps, but you're so right. What's that next tier? Is it is it a drop or is it can can teams like Virginia, Virginia Tech, Boston College with Halfley, can can, can there be some eight win teams at that next tier that'll go into bowl games? And, and go play a brand of football that people remember. That That's the only way they can turn this thing around. Clemson by themselves isn't going to do it. You know, right. But that's not lifting our national profile yet. No. You mentioned Florida State. Like, listen, Florida State was was the bell cow for a long time, and they're just a, a mess. I mean, I, I, I'd i say I hate to see it, but, I mean, like, <laughs> like, you know, it's just I would love to see the middle class beef the conference up a little bit. And it was big for us going to the Orange Bowl last year and all. But, uh, you know, it's uh, – I feel like sometimes people don't even see some of these teams play. I mean, UNC, I don't think has a lot of eyes on them and they should, they're very entertaining. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm like I said, I'm doing that game with Miami. Yeah. There's a lot at stake for both those teams. I, I, uh, I want to ask you about Broncos is, is have the fans embraced him? Do you see him staying there for a long time? Is he, is he, do you see him moving on? Yeah. I, I hope he stays there for a while, man. I, I really do because what he's done is he so, he sold a really unorthodox product. I mean, like what he did at BYU was much different than what you need to do in the ACC, as you know. Like recruiting's different. You talk about the Tidewater area. You've got guys, you know, from out west, Mormon dudes who haven't spent time in Virginia recruiting. You know, he he made a really good call in keeping my my man Marcus Hagens on staff. He got yeah. came back. You remember those guys? Yeah, that's like your that's your homegrown talent recruiting, and they're great coaches. So listen, I think to do what you do, you see they bottomed out. They showed this year that it wasn't just the Bryce Perkins show. Although that guy was like a one man team. Yeah, yeah. And he's special. You're not going to get that every year. Uh, but the way they've been able to transition to Armstrong, get better uh, throughout the year. Right now, we're looking at being above 500 to finish the year and hopefully a Commonwealth hey, Cup. And when you when you lose four in a row and you still have a chance to to turn it around and beat your rival and and be five above 500, there's there's a lot to be said for that. Are they? Are they did I see that they're not playing on the 19th, but they have elected if they if they get invited to a bowl, they'll go to a bowl game. Yeah, I believe so. I believe that's a lot. Okay. For me, the bowl game is the Commonwealth Cup. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Kirk, give us a prediction before we get you out of here. You've been so gracious with your time, brother. Uh, I got Virginia winning that game. I Virginia Tech has some some ability, but they lost to to Liberty, and the way they lost to Miami, I think was a couple body blows. They went up to Heinz uh, field and got trashed by Pitt. They put more in it. You know what? We're back on. We, we believe we can do it. They gave Clemson a half and scared them. And then it got away from them uh, where they self-destructed. I just don't know. I know it's a rivalry game and he'll try to get him back up. I just don't know. in this year of, of so many obstacles to overcome, I don't, I wonder what, how much spirit yeah. Virginia tech has after being through all that. So I, I think Virginia will win the game. Well, I do wish Virginia Tech the best in the long haul, but not this weekend. And I hope their spirit is very broken. Uh, <laughs> Stadium Saturday night. Kirk Herbstreet, man, appreciate you coming on. It's really great to see you. And uh, keep up the great work. You're Thanks, making a lot of weekends normal, so I appreciate it. Hey, you got it. And please uh, give your give your family my best. I sure will. Take it easy, man. All right, bud.